Waterbridge, how are we doing, guys? Anybody glad to be in church today? Just glad to be here. Just glad to be alive, to be awake, to be in the house of God. That good stuff or what? I'm so glad that you're here. We welcome some good friends of ours from El Salvador that are visiting with us today. So if you see some guys walking around, let's say hi to the Salvadorian pastors or group that are here today. Glad you guys are here. Hope you're blessed. We're in a series that we're calling Grateful as we kind of lead up to Thanksgiving, which is coming very, very rapidly. I saw a meme on Facebook this week. This is only three Fridays till Thanksgiving and only nine till Christmas. Are you kidding me? Here we go. Zoom, zoom. But here we are leading up to Thanksgiving, and we're talking about this idea of being grateful. And we're talking about some of the things that we, in fact, are grateful for. That would be an impossible task to do a sermon series on all the things we're grateful for. So what I've been trying to do is kind of think through and pray through what, what are some of the major elements of our walk with God and our relationship with God that, quite honestly, sometimes we take for granted, that we stop being grateful for. Not that we aren't, but we just kind of forget. To, to be grateful for them, and let's just kind of refresh and renew and remind ourselves of how grateful we really are and then lean into them. Of course, last week, Pastor Jared did a great job of reminding us that we serve a God who is the God of second chances, of fresh starts. He told the story, for those of you that weren't able to be here, he told the story of a woman who was caught in adultery and a bunch of religious hypocrites decided that she needed to be stoned to death for doing it. And Jesus just simply said to him, okay, any of you guys don't have any sin, go for it. They all wandered away. And my favorite quote from the whole sermon, if you missed it, go online and, and get it because it's a good, powerful message. My favorite quote was this, the only one that was worthy to pick up stones picked her up instead. That's who God is. Anybody thankful for a fresh start in life because of who Jesus is? Anybody thankful for second chances? How about 90 second chances with God? That's who he is. Today we're looking at then the next logical step in our journey with the Lord. First we accept a fresh start from him, a new beginning, and then we tell the world about it through water baptism. And so what I want to do is just help us to understand this morning why we should be grateful for that and maybe in the heart of it how we can be grateful for it based on understanding the need that it meets in our lives. So to do that, let's go back in your mind. Let's go back a couple thousand years if you can. Some of you know the story, some of you don't. I'll try to paint a picture for you. Jesus has died on Calvary. He's risen from the grave. Uh, he's shown himself to more than 500 different witnesses, and now he's told that original 120 uh, owners of the church, okay, guys, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I want you to pray till the Holy Spirit comes, and then I want you to go do what I told you to do. So he leaves. They stand there staring at the sky, watching him leave, until an angel finally says, what are you staring at? He said he was coming back. He gave you a job to do. Now go do it. So they go into a room and they start praying. They pray for 10 days. I don't know about you, but I've been in an awful lot of prayer meetings over the years. Uh, I can't imagine a group of Christians praying for 10 days, just fasting and praying for 10 days. I'm sure there were discussions. I'm sure there were some potluck dinners, maybe a trunk or treat thrown in there somewhere. Maybe a few let me hug your necks, you know, it's, it's kind of human nature stuff. But for 10 days they're praying, and finally the Holy Spirit shows up. When they get in unity, when they get in one accord, the Holy Spirit shows up, rocks the town, and Peter walks out and preaches this simple, powerful message that concludes with the command, repent and be baptized. 
Let's just repent and be baptized. The Bible says, here's what the Bible says happened. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, if you want to follow along, it's in the Bridge NC app. You can follow along. It'll be on the screens as well. Maybe you brought your Bible, but here we go. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, I want you to picture it for a minute. I've tried to paint a quick story, but I want you to picture it for a minute. It's only been... Two months ago that Jesus gave them their command in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, teach them to, uh, to obey all the stuff that I've been teaching you, and I'll go with you as you go. It's only been a couple of months ago. So in our context, we're talking about early September, okay? And now in just a matter of a few weeks, they're baptizing 3,000 people. How's, and then as soon as they get that done, there's 5,000 more that follow soon after. Just imagine that setting, and, and it's exciting stuff, but, uh, you know, as a church leader, my mind immediately goes to, to that, was, that was hard. <laughs> you know, I mean, just think about the logistics of baptizing 3,000 people on a single day. We water baptized 162 one time in the Philippines. We went out to the South China Sea, and, and we'd baptize a while, and then go eat a while and baptize a while. It was an all-day affair to baptize 162. That was an exciting day, one of those milestone memories in my life that was really cool stuff. But, uh, but I can't even fathom baptizing 3,000 on a single day, not to mention they didn't have the South China Sea. They had the little Jordan River that didn't have much water in it. And so I, I wonder sometimes if some of those early church members, you kind of cross their minds. Okay, I get the Jesus wants us to tell people about him and Jesus wants people to know him and know how much he loves them. I get that part. And I get the part about them being followers. But couldn't he have given us an easier task? I mean, get them to memorize the New Testament or something. You know? Get them to wash Pastor Jim's car. I mean, something simple like that. Uh, why, do, do, why do we have to put them in a pool of water and dunk them? I mean, this is, this is huge. This is hard work. There's got to be a reason for it. And I'll be honest with you, I, I went a long time in my own experience with the Lord before I really even understood why. In fact, I wrote a booklet. It's in the bookstore. It's free. You can stop by and pick it up. This is the, what the Bible says about water baptism, and it gives you the, the what, why, when, where kind of stuff, uh, just practical. Stop by and get a copy of it, if you will, if you run out. Put your name on the list, we'll get you some more. But, uh, but even with those kind of, you know, what, why, where uh, questions answered, I still, the, the, the depth of it, there was something that nagged me. Uh, and, and, and see if I can explain it to you. My understanding of God's laws, you tell me if it's yours, is that every boundary that God set for us was for our benefit. Any, anybody agree with that? I mean, it's like a loving parent who says to a child, don't play with the stove. It's not that the child is trying, uh, the parent's trying to deprive the child of the joy of playing with fire. He just knows you're going to get burned if you do it, right? And so there's a benefit that's tied to the boundaries. And so I'm going, what is the benefit to getting in a pool of water and getting dunked? I'm not, I, I get the what, I get the where, I get the when. I'm not sure that I fully understand the, the why. I mean, even John wrote in 1 John, I don't think I gave you that verse, but here it is. This is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome, John wrote. In other words, God's a loving father who sets boundaries, and ultimately, they're not heavy, they're not 
a load. In fact, they lighten your load when you live within those boundaries. They are for your protection, and they meet a very real need in your life. Can I give you a couple more examples just so we make sure on the same page? Think about the Ten Commandments with me. When God says don't steal, how many of you think he's trying to deprive you of the adventure of being a thief? Why does he say don't steal? Because we can't trust each other if we steal from each other. And if you don't have trust, relationships break down. Right? When he says don't kill, why, why does he do that? When he says, here's one, when he says work six days and rest one, is he trying to deprive you of overtime pay? <laughs> What's he doing? He knows that we have limitations, and if we don't live within those limitations, we will ultimately pay the high price for it. We need renewal time. When he says, don't covet your neighbor's wife, well, you get the point. I don't have to go down that road for you to get it, right? So follow me. When the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to say, repent and be baptized, there must have been some benefit. Am I making sense this morning? Is this, this registering? Do you guys like this if you're getting it? I'll explain it some more if you need me to. Okay, we got it. All right, we move on. So in the few minutes we've got this morning, I want us to, I, I, I want to help us understand uh, why we should be grateful for water baptism uh, based in the four needs that water baptism meets in our lives. And I want you to think about that, let it resonate with you. Uh, and, and give some thought to it so that as we build up to Thanksgiving, we will, in fact, have grateful hearts. So I spent a lot of time setting it up, but I want you to understand why we're going there. So let's get into it. Four needs that baptism meets, therefore why we should be grateful that God set it up that way, repent and be baptized. Number one, water baptism meets my need to express my faith. God created us human beings with emotions. Anybody agree? Anybody ever have any emotions? Anybody ever run from your emotions? Ever have your emotions get ahead of you? We all, we're emotional creatures, but there's another part of that equation, and that is that for every emotion that we have, God has given us a, a, a way to express those emotions that are far more universal than you might realize. Is that true? Let me, let me give you some examples. Tell you what, I, I'll give you the emotion, and you tell me the expression, okay? If you're feeling sad, you cry. Right? That's, that's what we do. If you're afraid, you, you run, <laughs> you scream, you do something, right? It, it, hilarity, what do you do? You laugh, that's right. Gratitude, you give, that's, that's what you do. Love, you gush, gush, roll your eyes. <laughs> that's right, it's, oh, I love you so much. There's something that happens. You know, that's one of the reasons that we sing when we come together. You know, we talk about worship songs and praise songs. You understand there's no such thing as a worship song or a praise song. This is just music. Worship is something that happens in here. Praise is something that happens in here. Singing is just a physical way to express what we are feeling inside. So we sing a song that, that draws us into who God is and how much he loves us or how, how we identify ourselves based on what Christ says, and it becomes in a way to express what we're feeling on the inside. So for some of you who say, well, you know, I don't like, really like that singing part. I don't really much of a singer. I need you to understand how God feels about your singing voice. You ever seen a child bring his mother a dandelion and say, Mama, I got this just for you? 
And what does mama do? She said, oh, that's beautiful, honey. And she let's put that in water. We want to keep that fresh and alive. She doesn't care that it's not a rose because she knows it is an expression of that child's love for her. And so some of you sing like dandelions and some of you like roses. <laughs> and God wants to hear both of you. We're probably not going to give you dandelions a microphone. If you got a rose voice, Pastor Jared wants to meet you because we're working on building our worship team a little bit more. But you understand what I'm saying? Is that there is a physical expression that's tied to uh, those emotional and spiritual activities. William James said it this way, an impression without an expression leads to depression. Somebody else said it was like this. It's, it's trying to suppress an emotion is like trying to suppress a sneeze. You ever tried to do that? It hurts. It's hard. As some say it's dangerous. I don't know what happens. Kim and I, a few years ago, went out with some friends uh, on this kind of, we made it a real special night. We went to Chrysler Hall in Norfolk, Virginia, to hear the Virginia Symphony do, do Messiah. And it was you know, not really into formal music a lot, but this was a powerful night. They had a 150-voice choir from Hampton Roads. They brought, they brought in soloists from New York City. Uh, Virginia symphonies playing. It was just a really big thing. Chrysler Hall is a three-balcony, huge auditorium, fabulous acoustics in that place. You could be up on the third balcony and whisper. You can hear it down in the front. I mean, it's just a, an amazing place. And so we're sitting there, and we're going through Messiah. And at one point in that evening, the, the soprano soloist steps out to center stage to do her solo. And just about the time she starts, somebody somewhere in the auditorium went, Huh? 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 Choo! And it just reverberated across the whole there. And so we're all going. <laughs> you ever tried to s suppress a laugh in church because it's not the moment to laugh? And, it's, and so we're all trying not to, but it's going, and you can hear these little spurts all over the auditorium. Well, she was a consummate professional, never missed a beat, just kept Ryan going the whole thing. Well, it got almost through her whole solo. It's like five, six minutes into her solo, and we heard somewhere way up on the, the third balcony had finally settled in and gotten quiet, and somebody went. <laughs> this guy had held it as long as he could, and there he just went. I mean, that's what happens when you've got this thing going on inside. You've got to have a way to get it out. So get it out, okay? Laugh, sneeze. Cry, talk, laugh, whatever it is you've got to do, get it out. I, I believe with everything in me, it's one of the reasons that Jesus established water baptism. Because it gives us a physical activity that becomes a way to express the spiritual experience of having stepped across the line of faith and say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, he did that a lot when he was here. When, when he healed the, the blind man at the pool of Shalom, he said, now go to the pool and wash. Did, did he have to wash to be healed? No, Jesus could have just said, you can see now. And he would see. When he healed the ten lepers, he said, now go show yourself to the priest. And the Bible says, as they went, they were healed. That there is some physical act that becomes a demonstration of your faith that in fact Jesus has done what he said he would 
do. There's some physical act that happens that demonstrates it all. That's critical for all of us. When he healed the man with the withered hand, he said, stretch out your hand. I just get this image in my mind of this guy who's got this hand that's been virtually useless to him for so long. And now suddenly, here's Jesus standing in front of him saying, stretch it out. And by faith, he says, okay. And he reaches his arm out. And I can almost feel the emotions well up in him when his fingers start to straighten. And maybe for the first time in his life, his hand opens and he says, look, it works. It's just something that happens when we make a physical expression of a spiritual truth. You see it through all of Scripture. So, so let's go back to Acts 2. Let's go back to our story. After Peter preached his sermon, after he told the crowds, um, you guys have prayed for a century to the Messiah to come, and he came, and you killed him. The Bible says that uh, they were pierced. Look at verse 37, Acts 2, 37. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Okay, we get it. We didn't mean to kill him. We didn't understand. We were fooled by the leaders who were intimidated by him, and we bought into their lie, and we... We murdered him. We didn't mean to, but here we are. What do we do now, and what's his answer? We're going to sing 37 verses of Just As I Am until one of you comes forward to the altar. God bless that hand. I see that hand. God bless that hand. I see that hand. Is that what he said? What did he say? Verse 38, Peter replied, each of you must, what is it? It's on the screen. Here we go. Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And that's why several times a year around here, we have a baptismal service, and we give people an opportunity to come and make that physical expression of the spiritual act that's happened in their lives. I don't think we mentioned it earlier this month. We promised to give you a praise report every month, and, and so I'll do it now. This year alone, 186 people have given their lives to Jesus Christ through the ministries of the bridge. Can we celebrate that today? 186 people this year. So what are we doing in baptism? We're giving those 186 people an opportunity and others who haven't done it yet to make that physical expression of the emotional thing, the spiritual thing that's going on. Last Sunday week ago, I was here and a lady came to the altar uh, after the service and she's crying and she's trying to tell me and she can't tell me. And the guy that was with her, I assume her husband, I don't know, but he said she's decided to be water baptized. It's huge, guys. It's huge. It's, it's emotional. It, it sometimes can make you nervous to come up in front of this big old crowd and get up there on the screens and get in the pool. But it's huge. It's a big, big deal because you're meeting the need to express physically what God has done in your heart spiritually. In fact, I'll tell you, in the years that Kim and I were in the Philippines, we, we had a lot of experience with 
with groups that would come, summer groups that would come, short-term groups that would come, and they would go to the streets, and they would witness in the streets, and they would do things in the streets, and I'm not against any of that by all means. Some of you have done that kind of thing. Please keep doing that kind of stuff. But they would go to people after they would do a skit or a play or, or act something out, and they would come and say, would you like to know that when you die, you go to heaven? Um, I think most people would say, yeah, I'd kind of like to know that. Well, pray this prayer and sign this card. And they would pray a prayer and they would sign a card. And then they would report back to their organization in the States. I kid you not, thousands of people who got saved while we were in country for the summer. One particular year, uh, I was in Davao City, a city of about a million people. And we were starting churches around Davao City. And I, I ran across a pastor that had been a part of the the Christian community in Davao all of his life, and we were talking about this very thing, and this group was coming, and, and, he, and he wasn't excited about it. And I said, why aren't you excited? Won't that be a blessing? And he said, well, uh, a certain group, I won't mention them uh, by name, but he said a certain group came last summer. They reported 50,000 conversions during their time here, and I can't identify one person who's a part of the body of Christ in Davao City today because of it. And, uh, and it rocked my world to the point that when we were in country, we didn't report a conversion until they were water baptized. Now, water baptism didn't get them saved, but hear me, there's a whole different thing from saying to a stranger on the street, yeah, I want to go to heaven, sign here, and going out in front of a crowd and getting in a pool of water and saying, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. So we didn't count them until they at least took that physical step. Not because baptism saved them, but because we knew they were serious at that point, and then they were incorporated into the body of Christ. What am I saying? It's huge, guys. We can't spend this much time on all four of the needs, but I wanted you to get this one because it's huge. And, and the fact that you've had that opportunity, the fact that you've been able to do that, don't ever lose sight of gratitude for the privilege to do that. It's not just a rote thing that we do. It is a physical expression of a spiritual and emotional action that God has done in our lives. Everybody got it? You ready to move on? Everybody move on? You want to do that one some more? Let's move on. Number two is baptism meets my needs of cleansing. Baptism meets my need of, of cleansing. Not saying sin is literally washed away when we're in the pool. But, but let's be honest, guys. When we do something wrong, what's the common expression for it? I feel dirty, Right? I was in, in a movie theater some time ago and out in the lobby and I heard this lady walking out and she said, that was a horrible movie. I just, I feel like I need to go home and take a bath. I don't know what movie she watched, but we all know the feeling, right? In fact, the scriptures are clear about that one uh, too. Jesus said in Matthew 15 that murder, adultery, theft, false testimony, slander, all of them make a man, quote, unclean, he said. James speaks of being polluted by the world or, and about getting rid of moral filth. King David knew that feeling after he sinned with Bathsheba and he describes it this way in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. I live with the awareness of what I've done 
or what I failed to do, and I got to get rid of this somehow because it is defining everything I do in life. It's defining how I view myself. It's defining how I relate to people. It's defining every part of my life. So it's right there in front of me. So he says, oh, God, cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart, oh, God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. There's something that happens. There's a cleansing that needs to take place. When Pontius Pilate was presented with the decision about whether to crucify Barabbas or Jesus, he bowed to political pressures and set Barabbas free and then felt so dirty afterwards, he symbolically went and washed his hands as if somehow that would cleanse him of what he'd just done. There's something about the washing of water. Don't misunderstand me. It takes more than water to be cleansed from sin. I'm not saying that. Hebrews 9.22, the law says that almost everything must be made clean by blood, and sins cannot be forgiven without blood to show death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. When we become followers of Jesus Christ, we we admit that we've sinned. We confess that we can't save ourselves. We put our trust in the one who shed his blood for us, who demonstrated how much he loved us by giving his very life. And because of that act of trust in him and what he did for us on Calvary, we are made clean. And when we stand before God in the final day, he doesn't see you. He doesn't see me. He doesn't see the things that we did right or wrong. As Pastor Jared told us during our song time, music time this morning, what he sees is the blood of Jesus Christ that covers us. But water is often symbolic in scripture of new life. Going all the way back to the flood, there's a symbolism of new life that takes place. And so hear me, God's laws always have benefits. Water baptism benefits us in a couple of ways immediately, and that is an opportunity to express what he's done in our hearts and an opportunity to symbolically be cleansed clean from the old ways. I had a young lady come to me one Sunday morning, scheduled to be water baptized that morning, new in her relationship with Jesus, and she said, Pastor, I, I can't be baptized today. And I said, why not? She said, because last night my boyfriend and I got in a fight and, uh, and I cussed him out one way up down the other and I, and I just let him hold it. And I said, well, how do you feel about that? She said, oh, I feel horrible. I feel dirty. I feel ugh, miserable. I said, what have you done about it? She said, I've asked God to forgive me. I said, come on, let's get in the pool, girl. Let's get in the pool. Because this is a symbolic expression of what God has already done in your hearts, not for perfect people. It's for people who need cleansing. The third need that baptism meets is it it meets the need of a milestone event. This is huge for us as human beings. I don't know if you stop and think about this kind of thing uh, very often, but there's something powerful about milestone events. We celebrate birthdays every year. Your birthday did not make you born. It's just a reminder that you were, right? It's an opportunity to celebrate that. It just marks the day. We, many of you remember your graduation ceremonies, whether high school or college or grad school or whatever it was. You remember those ceremonies? Frankly, if you did the work, you'd get the degree whether you marched across the stage or not. The, the graduation ceremony didn't make you a, a graduate or a, 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 the, the diploma said you did the work. That's what made you a graduate. Uh, but there's something about putting on that stupid hat and marching in front of people 
uh, that, that marks the day. And you remember that, that day. Whether your wedding was big or small, odds are you spent more money than you ever dreamed you would on photography. Why? Because you want to pull it out every now and then and look at the pictures to mark the day. Those things are important to us. It wasn't the day you fell in love or even the day that you committed to spend the rest of your lives together. It's the day you sealed your commitment and you just you want to mark it. You want to remember it. You want to hold on to it. It's not like the way the, the message paraphrases what Paul said about this in Romans 6. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left it for good? That is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. Just as birthdays don't make you born, water baptism doesn't make you a Christian, but it is an important mark, an indicator that said, this is who I was, and then I met Jesus, and this is who I'm becoming. And that's a moment in time. I was water baptized this month. 48 years ago, and I remember it vividly. I remember the one who stood with me in baptism. He was my pastor and eventually became the mission director of the mission we were a part of, and always until recently when he passed was my spiritual father. Those moments become critical in our lives, and we mark those days. Again, let me be clear. I'm not saying you have to be baptized to be saved. Ephesians 2, 8, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm just saying that, my, that baptism becomes a milestone event that marks that commitment, that new relationship, that new life. Because following Jesus is not about turning over a new leaf. It's about getting a new life. And that needs to be marked. It deserves to be marked. Let me say it another way. You can quit celebrating your birthdays if you want to. You're still going to get old. <laughs> but birthdays are good celebrations to have. The fourth need, and I'll bring this home, is it meets my need. This one might surprise you a little bit. It meets my need of humility. It meets my need of humility. Let's be honest, guys. One of the biggest barriers between God and man is not greed. It's not lust. It's not even doubt. A lot of people say, well, you know, I got these doubts. I got to deal with these doubts. It's not, that, those aren't the biggest barriers. The biggest barrier between us and God is pride. I want to be the captain of my own fate. I want to decide what is truth for me. I want to decide my own agenda. I want to decide what I want to do with my own life. Our intellectual pride wants to set the terms of how we live out our lives. And let's be honest, guys, for an awful lot of us, it took a painful experience for us to wake up and say, wait a minute, I, I need to rethink this. Proverbs 18, 12, proud people will be ruined, but the humble will be honored. Can I get an amen in the house? Apostle Peter said it this way in, in 1 Peter 5. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. The way up in the Christian life is down. Humble yourself and watch him raise you 
up. And we know, we know that, but it's not an easy thing to do. Which again, I think is one of the reasons why God instituted water baptism as a beginning step in this new relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's just be honest, guys. It's pretty much impossible to, to get in front of a crowd, climb into a pool of water, having got your hair did and your makeup right, and you got the right outfit on, and they put the cameras on you, and they dunk you under the water and sing two verses of Amazing Grace and bring you up, and you look like a drowned rat without being humbled a little bit. Hello? This is almost impossible. Well, that's the point. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Somebody said water baptism is a pretty good pride extinguisher. I don't know if that's true. Except for the good type of pride, of course, which Jeremiah talked about in verse 9. This is what the Lord says. The wise must not brag about their wisdom. The strong must not brag about their strength. The rich must not brag about their money. But if someone wants to brag, let him brag that he understands and knows me, says the Lord. Let him brag that I am the Lord and that I am kind and fair and that I do things that are right on earth. This kind of bragging pleases me, says the Lord. You can brag all you want about Jesus and who he is and what he's doing in your life. And ultimately, that's what water baptism is. It's an opportunity to say to anybody who will watch, I've decided to give my life to Jesus Christ. It meets some really deep needs. And as I look back on my life and 48 years since coming to Christ, I am eternally grateful for that moment in time that I stood in front of my family and friends and said, I've chosen to follow Jesus Christ. I hope you are. Before we close, I need to segue just a little bit, though, and talk to you who have not taken that step, who have not been water baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe your parents loved you and wanted to, to honor you in the faith, and they had you baptized as an infant. Or maybe when you were 11 or 12, 10, 11, 12, and all the kids were doing it, you just kind of joined in and did it because everybody else was doing it. Now, maybe you've had an experience like this, but as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've never said, I want the world to know I'm following Jesus, then I, just, I want your attention for just a second. I want, to make, I want to be clear about something. As lovingly as I know how, I want to be clear about it. I, I, actually, I actually had somebody say to me, well, Pastor, I, you know, I, we're having a baptismal service. I've never been baptized. I'm not sure I, I see the need. I mean, I'm saved. I go to church. I mean, I tithe. I, I'm even on a serve team. I mean, I, why do I need to be baptized? And, you know, I gave him all the reasons that I just gave you. Uh, but there's a bottom line why of this whole thing that I didn't mention today that I think is critical that we get. So if you've tuned out on me somewhere along the way, lean in for a minute, okay? And here's how Andy Stanley says it. He says that there came a time when his, when his kids were young that every time he told them to do something, before they responded, they would say, why? Uh, why? And, uh, and after a while, he decided, you know, I've I got to address this. And so he taught them to say, yes, Daddy, Why? He taught them to say, okay, 
you said it, I will do it, it would be helpful for me to know why. And he said, I'm glad for them to know why, but I wanted them sometimes to trust me as their father and do what I said, whether they understood why or not. Does that make sense? So I was baptized 48 years ago. I'm not sure I understood why. I'm not sure I cared why. I just knew I wanted the world to know I was a follower of Jesus Christ. I've helped, I don't know, thousands of people in their own water baptism over these 50 years. Um, And I dare say most of them didn't know why. They just knew Jesus said repent and be baptized. So let me challenge you. If you've not been water baptized as a believer, November 18th is our next baptismal service. You've got three weeks to prep. Get ready. In fact, get your Connect card in your hand right now. It's the reason I ask them to wait till the end of the service to collect Connect cards. So get your Connect card in your hand right now. <laughs> if you look at the back of the card, you'll see there's a box that says baptism. I'm interested in baptism. I want you to check that box right now while the Lord's speaking to you. And the Holy Spirit's saying, you know what, you really need to do this. If you've not been water baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ in a way of saying, I choose to let the world know I'm a follower, check that box. The ushers are going to be at the door as we're on our way out. Just drop those cards in the basket as you make your way out this morning. Pastor Andy Stovall is our congregational life pastor. He'll be in touch with you uh, and, uh, and give you all the information you need to be prepared for November 18th. You can't do it November 18th. Okay, we'll, let you, we'll get you in the next one, but go ahead and sign up now. And let's get this milestone event nailed in your life because it meets some valid needs. Bottom line, because he said so. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these folks. Thank you for their lives and the journey that they're on with you. Thank you that we have these opportunities to establish publicly, physically, what you've done in our hearts spiritually. And I pray that for we who have been baptized, that we would have a renewal of gratitude for the meaning of water baptism in our lives. And for those who have not, then I pray, Lord, that you'd, Give them the whatever it is, the courage, the, the trust, the humility to say, okay, here I go. He said it, I will. I see there's benefits. I see there's some whys, but bottom line, Jesus said, repent and be baptized, so I will. Speak to every heart today, Lord, and let us know how much you love us as we respond to your call. With every head bowed for just another moment or so, nobody's looking around, it's just a private moment between me and you and Jesus. If you're not absolutely sure that you've taken that step, that you've actually said yes to Jesus, please don't leave this room until you do. If you haven't embraced how much he loves you, if you haven't accepted that forgiveness for the inevitable junk that we all step in is available to you, if you haven't embraced that, please do. If you haven't caught a glimpse of the life that he's planned for you, this fulfilling, abundant life, please do. Don't leave this room 
unsure about that relationship. I've heard preachers say over the years, you know, you might get hit by a bus. You don't know if this is your last chance. Well, I'm telling you, do it because you probably are not going to get hit by a bus. You've got a whole life ahead of you. You need Jesus in it. You need Jesus in the heart of it. I beg you this morning, if you haven't given him your life, do not leave this room until you do. The altars will be open in a minute. There will be people that would love to pray with you. But at the very least, right now, would you pray a prayer? Pray it in your own words. Doesn't matter about the words. Praying with a young man one time, wanted to give his life to Jesus, and he said, I I don't know what to say. And I said, well, just tell him what's in your mind. And he looked up toward heaven and hit himself on the forehead and said, God, put it to me real easy right here. Doesn't matter what you say. He's looking at your heart. But it might go something like this, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me. Give me a fresh start today. And then give me the courage to tell the world through water baptism that I've decided to follow Jesus. And I believe that new life, fresh start, will be mine. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in hearts across this room and and literally across the world online right now. I pray blessing over us all in Jesus' name.